Well, today we're going to wrap up this series of messages that we've been calling Jesus and, and in which, if you've been hanging out with us, you know that what we've been doing is grabbing up these game-changing kind of issues and bringing them to the Bible, which is the mind of Christ, and saying, okay, Lord, what do you think about this? And what do you think about this? Not just because we want to be informed, but because we want to be transformed. One of the things that we've been trying to do throughout the course of this series and bringing these all important topics to our God is to recognize who he is relative to us. I mean, the scripture comes to us with metaphor upon metaphor. He is our master. We're his servant. He is our father. We're his children. He is our king. We're his subjects. He is our, don't miss this, owner and we're his possession. We're his possession by virtue of the fact that he created us, and we are his possession by virtue of the fact that he has redeemed us and purchased us by the blood of Jesus Christ. And so Paul comes to us and says, listen, you need to know something about you. You don't belong to you. You belong to God. So like right away, our ears ought to perk up about what it is that he wants to say, but they don't necessarily, do they? Issue by issue, I think we've been coming broken, too. See, one of the problems that we have as human beings, and all of us have it, is that we do not come forth from the womb calling good, good, and evil, evil, and calling wisdom, wisdom, and foolishness, foolishness. We come out calling good, evil, and evil, good, and foolishness, wisdom, and wisdom, foolishness. We don't come out agreeing with God, just like we don't come out humble. We don't come out selfless. We don't come out looking to give our lives away to advantage other people. We come out prideful, selfish, and looking to see how we can manage everyone else around us so that they can give their lives away to advantage us. But here's the deal, and if you live long enough, you'll discover it. And it won't take that long. You reap what you sow. And I think on a lot of these issues... A pretty good segment of us have come and said, you know what? I've tried it my way. Lord, what do you have to say on this issue? And I think a no bigger issue in that regard in our church right now is that of the family. And so that's what we've been talking about for the last several weeks. We've brought God, our families, each one of us individually. And we've said to him in so many words, okay, God, I know what my family does look like. But here's what I, your servant, your subject, your child, your possession, oh, and the one who's been arguing with your wisdom and reaping the fruit of foolishness in my life, now want to know. I want to know what my family should look like. And what has he done, generally speaking? Well, he gave us the bicycle wheel and said, you know, it's kind of like this. The circle of the wheel, the circle of your family, the spokes of the wheel, each individual member of your family, the hub of the wheel, which is located where? At the center of the wheel, or it doesn't work. The hub of the wheel is not outside the wheel. The hub of the wheel is not somewhere inside the circle, you know, along with a whole bunch of other stuff. The hub of the wheel stands in the middle of the wheel. It is the single most important part of the wheel, in part because it connects all of the spokes, not just to itself, but through itself to each other, thus making the wheel strong, thus making the wheel functional. He's come to us and said, okay, the hub of the wheel, the most important part of the wheel of your family is the Lord your God. And then he came to us and he gave us a commandment. He said, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might, and you parents shall teach your children to do likewise. We've seen all that. And then two weeks ago, we came to God with the component of the family that is the husband. 
And we learn something about that component, too, about that role, about that position, about that responsibility, that duty, that even joyful when it's embraced and fueled by God position. We learn that it is the responsibility, that it is, well, the duty, that it is the joyful privilege of the husband within the context of the wheel of the family to lead that effort of loving God. And frankly, just to lead the family. We looked at the authority structure that God has given us in wisdom. That God, according to his counsel, has blessed us with. That according to the design of God, it has designed his family. He's given us. And in which, gulp, the husband is the head of the family. Let me read it to you. Paul says this in Ephesians 5, beginning in verse 22. He said, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, which, as we talked about two weeks ago, is not a suggestion. You know, like God is not sitting down with us in a counseling scenario and saying, look, I've got something and it works for some couples. And I think maybe you ought to give it a try and then we'll meet again next week and then we'll see how that. He's coming to the wives and he's saying, listen, you who are called to love me with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your might. Express your love for me. As an act of worship unto me through faith in me and in my greater wisdom. Well, submit to your husbands. As unto the Lord. But again, why? Because if you missed it, we covered this. Is it because men are by design more intelligent or capable or more naturally gifted leaders or they have, you know, greater worth or value or dignity before God? We blew all of that stuff up two weeks ago and we recognize together that biblically speaking and as you travel through the scriptures, you'll discover the woman is every bit the equal of the man, but she does have a different role within the design of the family of God. Guys, God designs all things, and here's why, that they might show forth the order of his wisdom to the praise of his glory. We think of the universe. The universe has very clear, even discernible and discoverable, what? Laws and properties. And what do the heavens do? They declare the glory of God. They're amazing. We think of the moral laws in this world. See, the reality is there's a moral law. There are properties of morality that we in our foolishness run amok of and lead to the greatest, you know, regrets of our lives. Well, it's true for the family, too. God has designed the family with a particular order. It's an order that is to show forth his wisdom, a wisdom that is to the praise of his glory. And we, his people who are to live for his glory above all else are to agree with him on what wisdom is. And stop calling wisdom foolishness and foolishness wisdom and begin instead to reap the fruit of the blessings of the wisdom of God in the order of our family. You see, here's what the wisdom of God does. It brings order as opposed to disorder. It is constructive. It is not destructive. It builds up. 
as opposed to tearing down. And so Paul comes to us and he says, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord for according to the wisdom and counsel and design of God, the husband. What? Because it's a key word. He is the head of the wife, not he might want to think about being that. Not if he looks like the most capable person. All right, well, then he gets the job. He has the right of first refusal. If he wins the vote, he's in. Whether he realizes it or not, whether he acts like it or not, before Almighty God, that's who he is. And Almighty God is who he answers to. He says the husband is the head of the wife, and then he nails it shut. It's like case closed after the next phrase because he says, even as, you know, just as, exactly like Christ, what? Is. He is the head of the church. His body. And is himself its savior. And we don't argue with that, and yet we argue with the other part. And what do we get as a result? I mean, when we sow... That what do we reap? Order or disorder? What do you reap? What do you have? As husbands and wives, we ignore these roles to our own detriment. So wives, submit to your own husbands as unto the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body and is himself its savior. And then in verse 25, Paul speaks of the kind of leadership that every husband is to bring to his wife and to his family. And it's the kind of leadership, again, as we talked about, that is the kind of leadership that no wife ever need fear. But also it's the kind of leadership that by God's design and in his wisdom meets the deepest needs and longings of a wife's heart toward her husband. It's brilliant. She desires to be loved. Husbands, he says, verse 25, love your wives. Okay, but how? Emotionally, and then that's it. Like, I feel really good about it right now. I'll write you a love note. Is that it? Intellectually, actively, humbly, selflessly, sacrificially. It's a Christ-like love. That's what our wives crave from us. That's what we men are called to bring. Love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, which, by the way, is also not a suggestion. It is a commandment that we husbands who are to love the Lord our God with all our heart and soul and might as an offer of worship, as an expression of that love by the power of that spirit and in faith are to do. And it's not contingent upon the respect or the submission of our wives, just like the respect and submission of our wives is not contingent upon our love. We're connected how? Through the hub of the wheel. Our devotion to one another is an expression of our love and worship for him. He's the one we answer to. And he's the one that makes it possible. Look, he's the only one who can take a selfish heart and make it selfless, who can take a humble person and break and make or take a proud person and break and make them humble. He can transform us from being takers. To being those who give their lives away, the kind of leadership that every husband is to bring to his marriage and family is humble, selfless, sacrificial, action oriented, loving leadership. And if you missed the message two weeks ago. Please listen to it.
All right, so if that's the responsibility, duty, and joyful privilege of the husband, well, then what is the responsibility, duty, and joyful privilege of the wife within the context of the biblical design for our family? And I would sum it up by saying this. The wife's role is to help her husband lead the family. And we get that role in the first few pages of the Bible, even before sin enters into the world. Think about it. You open the pages of Scripture and God creates the heavens and the earth and everything in them and He creates the man, does He not? And then what does He do with the man? He makes him His vice-regent in the world. He places everything and everyone under the authority, the rulership, the leadership, the headship of the man. He answers only to God. And then He looks down, again, before sin even enters into the equation, and He says, you know, there's still something that's not quite right here. There's something that is not good in this equation. And the something that is not good is that it's not good that the man should be alone. So now the answer is going to be the wife. But how does he describe the wife? I'm going to give you some options. And I want you honestly before God to say, which option most reflects me? It is not good that the man should be alone, so I will make a boss to govern over him. It is not good that the man should be alone, so I will make a manager to guide him, to manage him, to create short and long-term goals for him, to keep a close eye on him, to develop him. It is not good that the man should be alone, so I will make a mother to fret over him, to clean up after him, to slap his hand, to chastise and discipline him, to speak condescendingly to him with the hopes that someday he'll grow up. You know what the reality is? The reality is that a lot of husbands need to grow up. But being their mother doesn't help. It enables. We've got this phenomenon in our culture, and it's happening to all kinds of kids, but to our boys in particular, where boys are are growing, you know, they're getting older, and they're maturing, and they hit puberty, and eventually they shave, and all these kinds of things. But what customarily used to happen as boys grew up into men isn't happening so much, or at least it certainly is a lot less frequent. And so instead of being men who take responsibility for themselves and their own spiritual and physical and emotional well-being and for their wives whom God has given to them and, and their physical and spiritual and emotional well-being, and then if God blesses them with children for their children and their spiritual and physical and emotional well-being in community with other men by the power of God's Spirit and according to a wisdom that's actually wisdom as opposed to nonsense, they're becoming boys who shave. I get it. There's a tension there. But they don't need a mom. Genesis 2.18. Here's what it really says. Then the Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a what? A helper. And the next word matters. It's translated fit. It means equal to and adequate for him. I will make a helper equal to and adequate for him. There's no lesser being that we're talking about here. But we are talking about a different role. And if you're tempted to think this morning that the role of helper 
is somehow of lesser value or it's lower in dignity, that same word helper is applied in different places in the Bible to the Lord God Himself. The role of the wife is no less in dignity or value than that of a man, but it is a different, it is a different position. So the responsibility, duty, and joyful privilege of the wife within the context of the wheel of the family, biblically speaking, as God gives to us his wisdom, counsel, and design, is that of a helper. And what's fascinating to me is that just as with the leadership of the man, there's a defining characteristic that in God's wisdom also meets the deepest needs and longings of a wife's heart toward her husband, which is for a selfless, sacrificial, humble love. She wants to be loved, needs to be, and needs to know it. Well, it's true also with this helpership of the woman. There is a defining characteristic, which, by the way, meets the deepest longing and need of your husband's heart toward you. And it isn't love. It's respect. Your husband needs to know you believe in him. He needs to know that you're behind him. He needs to feel the weight of your affirmation, and he needs it a lot. Say whatever you want about the male ego, I don't care. It exists, and this is what we need. It's like a dying plant, you know, that doesn't get any water when it doesn't happen for us as men. But oh, that you might reverse that and pour some water on that drying up plant. And watch it blossom. Watch it flower. To state it plainly, what your husband needs more than anything else from you is for you to be a respectful helper of him. Husbands, love your wives, he says in verse 25. Well, second part of verse 33, he says, and let the wife see to it. Other translations say, and the wife must. What? Respect her husband. And what I want to do for the rest of this message is do exactly what I did two weeks ago with the guys. I just want to flush it out a little bit with you. You know, what does that look like, at least in part? And obviously, I can't cover the whole of it. But I want you to work through it with me for a minute. I want to say some things to you today that that maybe your husband has tried to say, maybe your husband wants to say, but he's too afraid to say because he knows that if he brings anything up that might sound even the least bit critical of you, what's going to happen? Like this avalanche of defensiveness and argument is going to come down upon his head, crush him to the ground, just like it works the opposite direction with you and your husband. It's not one-sided. Your relationship has grown to be so unhealthy you can't even talk at more than a surface level. Husbands, lead your way out of that. Get a third-person counselor to help. But I want to say some things that maybe, just maybe, and maybe not, your husband has thought or has said or is too afraid to say. I want you to see, first of all, that being a respectful helper, number one, involves your mouth. It involves the way that you speak. And look, here's the deal. If you have kids, you already know this, don't you? Why? Because as moms, God and his wisdom, his counsel, his design has placed your children under your authority. And parenthetically... Just as an aside, what happens when they subvert your authority, when they rebel against your authority, when they work actively against your authority? Does that bring order or disorder? 
I mean, is that a building up or is that a tearing down? It's so obvious, isn't it? Then why does it change when we shift the conversation from God's wisdom and design and counsel for your relationship, mother, son or daughter to husband and wife? Doesn't. Fascinating. We come to the Bible and you studied it in personal worship this week. Children, obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, we're told, that it may what? Go well with you and you may live long upon the earth. You see the beautiful design of that? God is coming and he's drawing a big circle in the sand and he's saying, listen, inside of this circle is honor your father and mother that it may go well with you and you may live long upon the earth. And your children, as long as they live within honor mom and dad and it's going to go well with them and they're going to live long upon the earth, they're going to experience the blessing of the wisdom and the counsel and the design of God for them. And when they step out of that circle, where are they now? In a place of peril. And our discipline brings them back in. We're really like all over that idea. But is there not a blessing when we as husbands embrace our biblical roles and in community with one another and and, in struggling together, inch by inch and foot by foot, make our way toward becoming the humble, selfless, sacrificial, active, loving leaders that God calls us to be and... Is there not a blessing when we as wives do that same inch by inch, foot by foot move toward embracing our your biblical role as well? See, I think the irony as I thought about that this week is, is there are very few things that we as parents are more sensitive to and less tolerant of than the sound of disrespect coming out of the mouth of our kids. I mean, I don't know if it drives you nuts, but like it just makes the hair on the back of my neck stand up. I'm just not so sure we're all that sensitive when it comes out of our mouths. I think we're tolerant there. And I think we need to be careful with that. That leads to chaos, too. That reaps destruction, too, in the heart of a wife who needs love and of a husband, please, who needs to be Respected. So let me say some things and give me some grace, okay? It's like walking into a shoe store this morning. You can try on the shoes. If it fits, great. If not, put it back on the shelf. I want to give you some things that your husband, frankly, doesn't like. He doesn't like it when you tell him what to do. Like he doesn't know what to do. He doesn't like it when you tell him how to do it as if he has no clue. He doesn't like you to tell him where to do it, when to do it. And as he's doing it, he doesn't really appreciate it when you walk up and tell him all the ways he's doing it wrong. Think about what that says to him. The one who needs affirmation. The one who needs building up. The one who needs respect. And when he blows it, he doesn't need for you to tell him he's blown it. He knows that he's blown it, so credit him with that knowledge. And on top of that, he really, really doesn't need for you to come along and say, you know, man, before we got started on this deal, I told you where this journey was going to end, and sure enough, here we are. You don't think he remembers you saying that? You don't think he's praying, oh, dear Lord, don't have her say that. 
Your husband doesn't like to be told what to wear. Now, he might not have good fashion taste. Tough. If he asks you, great. You have good fashion taste. You're his helper. I think it'd be smart for him to ask you. I mean, we got to all know ourselves and understand our limitations and realize that God has given us these women as our helpers. Why will we not lean on them? We'll get to that. He doesn't like you to tell him how to load the dishwasher, how to spend his money. He doesn't like you to tell him how to change a diaper. He definitely doesn't like you to tell him how to drive, as though he's incompetent of even getting you from point A to point B. Because that's what it says. You need to hear it with a different set of ears. You need to hear it with his ears. So don't tell him what he should do. Don't cross-examine him about everything he does. Don't try to solve all of his business problems for him in an unsolicited fashion. If he asks you about it, by all means. But if not, it, it sends the wrong message. So last thing, don't make demands of your husband. He doesn't like demands. But do you know what he loves? He lives for this. This is cool. And you're going to even like the reason. He likes requests, and I'll tell you why, because it fills his respect tank. It recognizes who he is within the context of the wheel of your home. You might be the CEO of Coca-Cola, but you are his respectful helper in your family. So it recognizes who he is, and here's the cool part. It gives him a chance to get on his white horse and be your hero by fulfilling your request. And that is what he desperately wants to be seen as and to do for you. He wants to be needed. Make requests. So bottom line, your husband is not made to be controlled by you and he doesn't want to be controlled by you. And I think at least a few guys would maybe admit that. And that doesn't mean you can't disagree. It doesn't mean you can't disagree strenuously. It doesn't mean that you can't state your opinions. Just like we as men who are supposed, supposed to be humble, selfless, loving leaders can't ignore the advice, the input, the wisdom of our wives. I'll tell you, my greatest counselor in life is the helper that God has given to me. She is a lot smarter than me about just about everything and maybe, you know, even everything. Seriously. She's better than I, I'm, I'm good at like two things. That's it. And I'm not even all that great at that. She's good at lots of things. It's the height of folly for me not to speak to the one who is my helper, the one who is on my team. But that's an issue, isn't it? Are you on the same team? Or they're competing teams, different visions, competing agendas. I'll tell you why I can talk to Beth. Why I will open up with her, at least as much as a man will, I guess. Because I know that I can float even my craziest ideas with her and she's not going to belittle me. She's not going to roll her eyes and <gasps> she's not going to put her hands, you know, her head in her hands. She's not going to say, oh, my goodness, here we go again, either out of her mouth or just by the expression on her face. And either way, it's pretty clear. And I'll tell you what else she's not going to do, and I know it. If or when, and sometimes this happens, my great idea turns out not to be all that awesome. I know that I'm not setting myself up by talking with her and gaining the counsel of my helper who's in this thing together with me, who's on my team and together we're leading this thing, okay? She's not going to come around and give me a big old I told you so down the road. 
being a respectful helper involves your mouth. And so I'd like to suggest that instead of using your mouth to tear down your husband, you begin to use your mouth to build up your husband. And here's how. Number one, to pray for your husband. Pray for him every day. Pray for his leadership in the home. Pray for his relationship with the Lord, his God, the hub of the wheel. Pray for his wisdom. Pray for his friendships, that God will bring men into his lives that will lead him and instruct him in the ways of wisdom and journey together with him on that journey. Inch by inch, you know, foot by foot, laying down our foolishness and taking up that which is wisdom. Laying down our evil, taking up that which is good. Pray for his health. Pray for every aspect of his life, his parenting. And look, and when he's down and dejected, and you say, what's bothering you? And he says, nothing. Take him by the hand and say, you know what? I just want to pray with you. And stand there in the kitchen or wherever and lift your husband up to the Lord. And bless the Lord for him, even if you have to grit your teeth. And use your mouth to praise him. You know, I've talked about this many times. I've said, you know, generally speaking, when it comes to relationships, you find what you're looking for. You discover what you dig for. So if you're digging for dirt, guess what you find? Lots of dirt. All of us are like a big bucket of dirt, aren't we? More dirt than anything else. If you dig for gold, you will come across that too. And if when you as a wife find gold in your husband... You praise it, you're going to find it a lot more frequently. He's going to become like a gold mine over time as that dying plant begins again to blossom. Instead of keeping a running list of your husband's weaknesses and, you know, failures and all that, begin today to make a running list. I mean, like, literally write it down of his gifts of his strengths, of his successes, and then use your mouth to let him know you've noticed. Being a respectful helper involves your mouth. Secondly, it involves your ears. Do you know what it says to your husband when you put your phone away, when you put the iPad away, when you shut the laptop, when you tell your kids to go to the room or go outside or go to the moon? I don't care. Just leave for 30 minutes. Go somewhere. And you give to him your undivided attention. One of the differences between men and women is you guys literally can carry on six conversations all at the same time and somehow do it all well. We are capable, barely, of carrying on one. So don't make us one of six conversations. Don't make us one of two conversations. When we call you and there's 19 things going on in the car, if you can't actually focus on us, tell us. You know what? Can I call you in 10 minutes? I just need to shut out all this noise and then I'll be able to listen to what you have to say. But when you when we call and there's nine other conversations going on, let me tell you what we're thinking. You know what? Just talk to you some other time. When you give him your undivided attention, you're not just saying, look, I think that whatever it is that you're going to say is likely to be very important. What you're saying is you are important. And that's the right message. 
So being a respectful helper involves your mouth, your ears, and it involves your hands. And here's what I mean by that. I mean that you might need to let go of some things so that you can then, in faith, take hold of God's design for your family and your role as helper within it and your husband's role as the humble, selfless, sacrificial, active, loving leader of it. So I'm going to give you some examples. You might need to let go of your finances. Gets real quiet when we say stuff like that. Some of you are going, man, that's a little scary. All right. Fair enough. Why is it scary? Is it because if it's scary, because the finances are your way, really and truly, if you're honest, of being the boss of, of being the manager of, of being the mother too, i.e., of controlling your husband, that's a bad answer. And you're losing more than you're gaining and in a currency of far greater value. If you are more financially gifted than your husband, if you have time and, and he doesn't to deal with it, and if under his leadership he's like totally good with you dealing with that particular area of your life, and he's happy with it, and you're happy with it, and the reality is also, and you got to only you are going to know the answer to this, you really don't sort of secretly use it to manipulate and control him, fine. But it's an area to consider. It's a big one. I'll give you another one. Children. There may be a sense in which you need to let go of your kids that you might take hold of your husband, meaning put them in the care of a babysitter and go out on a date with him often, like on a regular schedule that makes your calendar that most powerful of all things. Or maybe leave them with, you know, family so you can go, I don't know, like for a weekend somewhere together and get reintroduced. You may need to let your husband parent your children. That doesn't happen a lot of times. If you're constantly instructing your husband on how to do it, if you're a running tutorial on all the things he's not doing right, if you're running around and doing absolutely everything so there's nothing less for him or left for him to mess up and also nothing left for him to do, how engaged is he going to be? This man who has been made to move meaningfully into his whatever environment it is, he's meant to be needed. He's made to be affirmed. Just because he has a different style or different ideas doesn't always mean that he's wrong. He's going to gravitate away from parenting, i.e. away from children. That's a bad thing, not a good thing. Your kids need a dad. And by the way, on the parenting subject, if dad says no, then it's no. It's not, oh, I can't believe your father said this is so stupid. I'm so sorry. It's ridiculous. I know. I just bear, shh, don't, you know, just, just, you're going to have to go with it. Or it's, you know what? Just do it. Don't tell him. No, if he says no, that's it. If he says yes, that's it. And if he's smart and humble, and selfless, and sacrificial, and loving, he'll consult with you in advance. Because probably you know a whole lot more about the situation than he does, just a guess. Do not undermine your husband's respect quotient with the children. Men are like respect magnets. We gravitate toward environments where we feel it. That environment needs to be your home.
Otherwise, it'll become the office or it'll become some hobby. It'll become something where people go, hey, wow, you know what you have to say is actually valuable. What do you think? And we affirm that. And you're great at that. And wow, look at you. You want the heart of your husband in your home. Be his respectful helper. And affirm his leadership before your kids lastly. And this is for husbands and wives. Being a respectful helper or a loving husband involves your heart. In other words, it involves one of these moments where you finally decide, okay, look, here's the deal. My wisdom isn't getting me anywhere. (laughs) The wisdom of my mom not working in my family, just parenthetically the way that it didn't work in mine now that I think of it, looking back on that family that I grew up in. The wisdom of my friends, well, it's not working for them either. The wisdom of our culture. Look around, guys. How's it doing? You reap what you sow, don't you? Each one of us needs to embrace God's wisdom, God's counsel, God's design, God's role for us within the context of the family. And then by the power of God, who is the key? (laughs) He's the hub of the wheel. He's the one we need. He alone is the one who enables selfish people to be selfless and so forth. Inch by inch, foot by foot in community with other men and women. We need to lay hold of those roles and begin in grace to submit to them, to embrace them and fulfill them. It's the difference between order and disorder, practically speaking. Building up, tearing down. So husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. And let the wife see to it that she respects her husband. And here's what will happen as we embrace God's design. You see, the order of his wisdom will be reflected in our families in such a way that it will endure to the praise of his glory. And that's the goal. But secondarily, we'll reap what we sow, won't we? We'll start getting order. We'll start getting blessing. We'll start being built up and building each other up. We have the wisdom of the world and our own wisdom. So in your heart, make the call. Let's pray. Our Father, Lord, we thank you that you have not left us to wander through this thing called marriage and family, and for that matter, life on our own. That in grace, you saw us mired in all of our foolishness and sin and muck and crud, and you sent your son into the world to purchase and redeem us. And not only to forgive us, but to instruct and guide us that we might live in such a way as to be different for your glory in the midst of this world. And that we might live in such a way as to experience in our families, in our lives, the blessings of your wisdom. And so, Lord, I pray that your spirit would move among us 
All of us have sin to confess. All of us have pride yet to be dispelled. All of us are struggling in the tension between selfishness and selflessness, or maybe there's no tension at all. It's just all selfishness at this point. And we need to be broken and made humble. Lord, do these things for us, that you then might remake us according to your wisdom, and that we might know you and glorify you and experience you and your blessings in our homes. Do that, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.